We're going to get started. Welcome to First Baptist Church again this morning. And as you're finding your spot in the pew, you can find your spot in the Bible. And that spot is Acts chapter 10. So that's where we will be again this week. So I'm glad to be back with you. I missed you guys last week. Thankful for Craig and, and uh, his, his sermon. So that was, that was great. Um, I was with Lee Ridings at Greater Hope Baptist Church last weekend, did a, a stewardship conference for them, um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, so just got back in town on Wednesday, and, uh, but we had a good time, good time with them, and, and uh, so that was, a, that was a good conference. I do encourage you to, you know, the announcements, I know, I know we don't always listen, you know, at announcement time, but I do encourage you to, to pay attention to those things and come back out for our prayer night next week. Set aside time for the REACH conference. Uh, those things are important. Um, so I, I hope you're, you're, you know, preparing your mind for those and you'll, you'll join us in those. But we're, again today we're back in the study of, of Acts, and so we're continue down this, this narrative in chapter 10 related to this Italian man named Cornelius and his you know, what we will see, his eventual salvation. Um, and in the first 23 verses that we've looked at so far, uh, we've pri- they've primarily involved the, the preparation of the two key men in this story. So God takes some time, he prepares Cornelius, he takes some more time, he prepares Peter. And, and through that time of preparation, we saw a number of principles of how God uses people, how God prepares people, how God changes people. And, and, all, and all of that. And so, you know, two kind of separate stories that we, we looked at separately of, of God's preparation of, of both of those, those individuals. And then in God's absolute perfect moment of time, he brings the two together. And that's what we're going to see today. So everything we've studied so far in this chapter is really, and, and everything we've looked so far and what we'll look at today is really just a lead up to when Peter shares the gospel, starting in verse 34. So, you know, the first 23 verses, or, or, you know, what I would term preparation, starting in verse 34 down through most of the rest of the chapter, is the the proclamation, the proclamation of the gospel. But there is this section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning that is between that, that is between the preparation and the proclamation. And this section deals with their introduction of, of Peter and Cornelius, their meeting, or their connection. And I just want you to notice that, that God is giving us some, you know, some painstaking details throughout this, this very important interaction between these two men. And, you know, it'll be 33 verses of information before the gospel is ever presented. And, and that's because of the importance of, of Cornelius's conversion. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So if you weren't here, you should go back and listen to that message. Acts chapter 10 is is an important chapter in in this entire book. And so you need to catch the context and the significance of what's going on here. But there are also just some very practical lessons that I believe God wants us to learn through these details. And the lesson that I believe God wants to show us today deals with personal connections, or what I've titled the key, the keys to connection. And this is so important because... When you look at ministry, ministry is personal connection. Ministry is personal connection. That is what it is. We joke that ministry would be great if it weren't for people. And I get the joke, trust me, more than you might know. But the truth is, without people, there is no ministry. And whether a person is lost or saved... If you want to be able to minister to someone else in any way, you must be able to connect with them at some level. So Romans 12, 16 explains that connection this way. So Paul says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Because if if we are wise in our own conceits, we're never going to make the personal connections at the level that's required for true ministry to occur, occur. And getting to a place of the same mind and, and not minding the high things. And it's it put this way in, in 1 Peter 3 verse 8. It says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Because those are attributes that allow for connection even when connection might seem difficult. Even in difficult situations. If we can show love, if we can show pity, if we can show courtesy. Then it allows an opportunity and a space for people to connect. 
But, but obviously that streak goes both ways because, you know, we're talking about this and will be throughout the most of this sermon from a perspective of ministering to someone else. You know, the, there's, there's two avenues here. There's the perspective of Peter and the perspective of Cornelius. And, and we're going to look at both of them. But, you know, most of the time we're talking about our opportunity uh, to minister. But again, that, there, that street goes both ways because if you need to be ministered to, for example, you, you absolutely have a part. There are some steps you need to take in order to receive God's word and God's message for you through an, another person. And as believers who have the answer, we don't have to connect with those that we can honestly determine don't want to be ministered to or aren't, they're, they're not honest in their search for truth. So Romans 12, 16, 1 Peter 3, 8, those verses don't apply to those the Bible would call a fool, or those who are disingenuous with their interest in biblical things and, and biblical answers for their life. In those situations, according to the Bible, we answer a fool according to his folly, or we don't answer him at all, depending on the situation and context. But that's certainly not the case that we find with our man Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He is sincere, and he wants true answers, and he wants to know the truth for himself, and for his family, and for his friends. And so, so Peter, what we find, is, is on his way to, to Cornelius' house to give him the truth. But as they meet, and as they connect, we see a very, at least to me, a very interesting conversation emerge between them that builds the bond, that really sets Peter up to be able to effectively speak the, the life-giving words of the gospel that he's going to do starting in verse 34. And again, we'll get to that next week. But before all that happens, I do want you to see these key steps taken by both of these, these men that will lead to Cornelius' eventual salvation. So let's look at this section of Scripture together and see what God has to teach us this morning. If you, if you remember, Cornelius sends some men to go visit P Peter and, and, and tell him to, to come back, what God had showed him, and, and, and he had some words for him to come back. And so Peter's followed the men that Cornelius sent to receive him and they and they, retrieve him, and they make their way back to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. So follow along with me, starting in verse 24 of Acts 10. We'll read down through verse 33. Acts 10, 24, the Bible says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God? All right, let's, go to, let's go to God in prayer and, and ask him to, to teach us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the time that we have, that we've set aside to just to, to lay aside all the other things that are going on in our life and all the other distractions that, that we're facing now, and, and we've set this aside a time to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that that's exactly what happens. Lord, I pray that, that we hear clearly and directly uh, from you, that your Holy Spirit will work your word into our life and into our heart uh, for exactly what it is that we need. We're all in different places. We're all in different spots. And, and yet, Lord, I know that you have a word for everybody uh, in here. And so I pray that, that, that you speak uh, clearly and authoritatively. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it honors and glorifies you. And I pray that this entire service is that. It's, it's a sweet savor. Um, of worship uh, to you. And so I just pray that you be with us in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to me, like I said, I, this, this is a very just interesting interaction. Um, I, you know, there's certain things that maybe most people, you know, kind of just read by that, that I just find very interesting. 
And this is very interesting to me for, for many reasons. But I, I want to pull out of the text four important connection points from both of these men that will teach us some very important principles about interacting with others in ministry. And the first thing that we see, and, and we see this point primarily from Cornelius, is that with respect to their connection, there was anticipation. There was anticipation. Cornelius was excited, and he was ready, and he was highly anticipating Peter's arrival. You can see it throughout the passage, but you see it specifically in verse 24. It says, And the morrow after they had entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And you see, what's cool about this anticipation is that he was so excited for Peter's arrival that it led him to bring together a group of his family and his friends. Because he wanted them to, whatever it was that Peter was going to tell him, he wanted them to hear it as well. Listen, Cornelius was a better evangelist than most Christians, and he wasn't even saved yet. I don't know what that says about us, but there is a great lesson for us, even in this simple point. And that is the things that we are excited about, the things that mean something to us, that, that, that pull excitement from us, and the things that we are anticipating, we talk about and we share with others. So, for example, before right now, I have not said one thing from the pulpit about the Chiefs winning yet another Super Bowl. I've remained humble this entire time. But there's a decent chance that if you would have caught me the week before the Super Bowl, would have been a topic of conversation. I had that conversation with many of you. And why? Because I was excited about it. I was anticipating the day, so, you know, I brought others into that excitement with me. I mean, that's a little tough to do around here, but I was talking about it nonetheless. <laughs> and listen, if that's true for something like football, and, you know, unfortunately it is, how much more excited should we be about ministry opportunities? The opportunity to minister God's word to someone else, how much should we be anticipating that and talking about that? And in our text, it's coming from the perspective of a lost person. But for us, the, the same principle absolutely applies. We should talk with others, even about the ministry opportunities that we have before us. Because that should excite us. That should, that should do something in us. And we should want other people brought into that excitement with us. And we should want other people praying with us. If, if for no other reason... For the sheer fact that we have the privilege to do what we do, to minister the only hope for the world, to anyone who will listen. So I hope that you get excited about the doors that God's open here. I hope you're excited about the sports ministry that we're starting. Because if you're excited about it, then you'll talk about it and you will pray about it. That's exactly what Cornelius had done. Listen, if you don't talk about something and you don't pray about it, how much does it really mean to you? How excited are you about it? Cornelius had done both. He had invited people to come. He had prayed about it. Listen, the, the, this event of Peter coming to his house was happening because of Cornelius' prayers. We see that in verses 30 and 31. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And listen, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. God heard your prayer. And thine alms are had in remembrance of the sight of God. And he, rem he heard your prayer, and he remembered everything that you had done up to this point. And so he sent in Peter. And Cornelius was ready. He was ready for Peter's arrival, and so he told others. It's the same type of response that, that you see with the woman at the well that, that Jesus ministered to in John chapter 4. Right after she was told about you know, living water that, where she would never thirst again, she wanted to tell the entire town. In John chapter 4, verses 28 to 30, it says, And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man 
which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. And listen, that should be our, our natural response to, to God working in our life. We should be excited about it and live in anticipation of being able to share that with others over and over again. So, so let me ask you, with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Ha, has God ever done anything for you? Has he ever done anything for you? Has he showed you grace unto eternal life? Has he loved, for you, loved you and cared for you all while you weren't returning it and, and didn't deserve it? Because listen, if he hasn't done anything for you, then by all means, do not do anything for him. Don't give him a second of your time. Don't be excited about sharing him with others. But if he has, then pour it all out according to the measure that you have received. That's always the argument of Scripture. God's never going to owe us anything. But we sure do owe him. Yet, too many times, we just don't live that way. That does not describe our life. We're not excited about getting to ministry. Others, we don't anticipate the next time we get to open our mouth for God's glory. Or on the flip side, on Cornelius' side, we don't get excited about or anticipate the next time we get to hear from the Lord. And, 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 and we just go through our life just doing the next thing. Just living life. Listen, if that describes you, then, then you're never going to connect with anyone on a spiritual level. I mean, I guess a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. But if so, it'll happen in spite of you and not because of you. So you should be excited about the doors God's opening in our midst. And even if it seems like he's not opening any doors at the moment, well, then pray about it. Ask him to do it and anticipate the time that he will. Because Cornelius was ready, because on the other side of this, on the Cornelius side of this, he was excited to hear from the Lord, and he was excited to see the Lord work in his life. And so does that same possibility excite you? I hope it does, because God does want to do that very thing. And here in Acts chapter 10, Peter was about to do it in front of a, a pretty large group of people. And we don't know exactly how many, because we don't know how many Cornelius invited to the party, how many of his kinsmen and friends were there. But we can assume that that was a decent amount of people. But what we do know is how many were in the traveling party with Peter. And that number is 10. Because we know that Cornelius sent three of his men to go get Peter, right? Acts chapter 10, verses 7 and 8 says, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And then down, so two, two household servants, a devout soldier, and then verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Right? So Cornelius sends three men. And we know that Peter brought six with him. And we haven't actually seen that detail in our passage, but we will when we get to chapter 11, when Peter is recounting the story. In Acts chapter 11, verse 12, says, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. So we have three plus six is nine plus Peter. There's ten. There were ten people, including Peter, in the traveling group. And I point that out, and it's significant because the number ten in the Bible is the number of Gentiles. It's the number of Gentiles. You can see that in a, in a number of places throughout Scripture. Right, Nimrod establishes the first Gentile kingdom in Genesis chapter 10. John 10 is where Jesus speaks of his other sheep. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 is the greatest Gentile fruit-bearing passage in Scripture. This is just a pattern you see throughout Scripture. Just like 12 is the number of Israel. God makes those connections for us. And, and, you know, and when it comes to things like numerology, you don't want to force it. But you shouldn't ignore it either. Because it is another way of seeing the supernatural aspect of, of his book. And here in Acts chapter what? Yeah, Acts chapter 10. Yeah, that's right. Um, we see the gospel open up to the Gentiles. And it starts with a group of 10 men coming back to Caesarea to see Cornelius. And again, he was anticipating their arrival. And I do think it's worth noting that Cornelius was anticipating their arrival while waiting. Right? It says he waited. He was anticipating their arrival while he waited. 
So he had to show patience. He had to show patience on the Lord. That's a good thing because what Lamentations 3.25 says, we, we talked about this specific aspect in this specific verse two weeks ago, but, but it's worth looking at again. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. That, that verse, Lamentations 3.25, is, is a great cross-reference to Acts 10.24 because the Lord was absolutely good to Cornelius because he sought him out. Because Cornelius sought out the Lord and he waited on him. And this principle of, of waiting on the Lord and seeking out the Lord, is, it's, it's found way more than just Lamentations 3.25. It's found all over Scripture. And it's so relevant. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But it's so relevant for us today because of the world and the society that we live in. We, we just can't stand waiting. Whether it's on our phone, in a car, in a restaurant, it doesn't matter. And those... With those carnal things, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. The, the problem is that we bring that attitude that is ingrained in us, we bring that over to spiritual situations. And in times of spiritual warfare and spiritual engagement, and we want, we want action now, we want victory now, we, want some, we just want things immediately. Instead of taking a step back and seeking the Lord and being honest with the Lord and waiting on him to answer how he's going to answer, you know, we'll get out ahead of him and we'll run out ahead of the Lord. And that just always, and just always leads to trouble. And, and waiting on him is what the Bible tells us to do. I mean, you can't get, can't get around it. Again, I, I talk about just our, our selective application of Scripture. You know, we'll, we'll say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not a very patient person. Well, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not either, but shame on us because the Bible says we should be. You know, it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stubborn. Well, that's a bad thing in the Bible. <laughs> it's bad. It's, you know, there, there's all these things that we make excuses for ourselves, and the reason why we make the excuses for ourselves is because societally, in, in our society today, it's accepted. And so we, what do we do? We conform to society instead of, we conform to the things of this world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we allow that to be our lens through what's acceptable and what's not acceptable instead of this being our lens of what's acceptable. And we just laugh it off. Yeah, I'm just not patient, I'm stubborn, whatever, whatever it is. When the Bible is so, it's, it's not, you can't even like question it. Like it's, it comes out explicitly and says, this is what's good and this is what's bad. And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm on the bad side. But <laughs> <sighs> you know me. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, I do know you, actually. And you should change. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. But we should be willing to wait on the Lord. And, and, and through that, it's, again, it's not doing nothing. It's praying. It's seeking him out. It's anticipating his answer. That's the model that we see in Scripture, certainly the model we see for Cornelius. And just consider Cornelius' situation for a second. He invited all his family and his friends over without having any specific idea of when this group was going to arrive back at his house. I mean, it was a four-day traveling process, you know, before cell phones for, to give updates. You know, they were, they were walking or riding on camels. You know, no Life 360 app to track their progress. But they're all there waiting because it was just that important. And that's a, that's a good lesson for us because when was the last time you anticipated Hearing from the Lord at that level. Or you're just going to sit and you're going to wait. You're going to wait to hear from him. And they had eager anticipation even through their waiting. And then second, the next connection point, and this one we're going to see mostly through Peter, uh, is, is association. So Cornelius had anticipation, and then we're going to see Peter bring them into association. And we see that starting in verse 25. Look there with me. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him 
and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how it is, and you know how, how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And so what we see here is, is that Peter does a brilliant job of, of just immediately associating himself with Cornelius and finds common ground between them so that their connection would be seamless and immediate. And listen, on the surface, there is no common ground between them. Not at this time. Now, God was changing all that. But, but leading up to this, there was, there was no common ground between Cornelius and Peter. But Peter, but Peter makes it. And he does this a couple of different ways. So first of all, he finds commonality. He finds commonality. And he initially finds commonality with Cornelius simply as a man and nothing more. Because when Peter arrives, Cornelius falls down at his feet and starts worshiping him. But Peter doesn't let him do it. In fact, he, he grabs him. You know, he says he takes him and stands him up and tells him to stand up. And so the words that Peter uses connects him with Cornelius. He said, I myself also am a man. He said, bro, listen, we're the same. Just two dudes here, you know. There's nothing special about me. Do not worship me. And that's a great response by Peter on, on many levels because as a man, it's easy to get caught up in any sort of adulation. That's one of the problems of the Pharisees. John 12, 43 said, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so it's, it's, it's easy for men, particularly, I mean, men and women, but certainly for men, to get caught up in that, to get caught up in the praise of men and adulation. That's a temptation for all of us because at our core, we are prideful. But listen, at the end of the day, this one is easy because there is only one worthy of worship. And it wasn't Peter. It's not any man that's ever lived. It's not you and it's not me. Isaiah 45, verses 21 and 22 says, Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there's none else. You see, Peter was just like Cornelius, and that they were both men. And Peter brought a commonality between them by saying it. And Paul and Barnabas did the same thing in Acts 14 after they had healed a lame man it was in Lystra. And the people of Lystra saw it and they thought they were gods. And so they were going to make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And, but listen to their response in Acts 14 verses 14 and 15. He says, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? Why make this sacrifice? We also are men of like passions with you. We're just sinful men, just like you are. We're, there's nothing God-like in us. And preach unto you that ye should turn from the vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are therein. Don't turn to us. Turn to the living God. Who made it all? Even John, the apostle, he was confused when he received the revelation of things to come when he wrote the book of Revelation. And he bowed down to the angel that showed it to him. And even the angel wouldn't take that worship away from God. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. And saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I'm no, thy fellow servant, and of thy, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of thy book. Like, like we're all on the same playing field. Worship God. I, I love it. There's the colon. Listen, we're fellow servants. We're, we're different beings, but we're fellow servants. We're still servants of God. Worship him. Don't, don't worship me. And that is the one and only answer. And the other interesting thing to this point to me that, that I'll point out is, is, you know, I believe it dispels any notion of Peter being the first pope. Because popes throughout history have, he, have had people bow down to them and, and they've gladly accepted that worship. I think we have a slide of some of that. But Peter wanted no part of it. 
He was a common man, just like Cornelius, and he brought commonality between them by admitting it. And then he also brought commonality between them by revealing the revelation that God had given him. Look at verse 28. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And this gets to some of what Craig covered last Sunday, so I won't rehash all that. But God was opening a new door here. That dispensational change that we've been talking about was afoot. And when Peter said he he shouldn't call any man common, that was common in contrast to Israel. Because up to this point, Israel had been special in God's eyes. It was as Moses described in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And, And since Israel was special... And above all the other people that were on the earth, every other nation was common. So you had Israel and everyone else, special and common. But now Peter is saying, we're all special, or we're all common, however you want to look at it. But the bottom line is that God was now viewing everyone the same. Because he had set Israel aside for the time, and a new gospel was being introduced. And the Gentiles were just as free to enter as the Jews. Because according to Galatians 3.28, under this gospel, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You've heard it. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye all are one in Christ Jesus. And so Peter associated and connected with Cornelius by establishing commonality, which beforehand wouldn't wouldn't have existed. And he put them on the same playing field on multiple fronts. But then he also associated with Cornelius by engaging in conversation. And this is, this is key to establishing connection with people. He engaged in conversation because what Peter could have done is showed up and just started talking and teaching, you know, right from Jump Street. And established himself as the authority. I mean, he was an apostle after all. But in this context, that didn't matter. And Peter knew it. And if he would have done that, he would have put himself on a higher plane than Cornelius. He would have been like a Nicolaitan, a a priestly class that wouldn't listen to the people, that would only instruct the people. You had to go to them from here, hear from God. You couldn't hear from God yourself. And that's a position and an attitude that God says he hates. Revelation 2.15, so thou hast also of them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. But Peter didn't do that. He didn't act like a Nicolaitan. In fact, he wanted to hear from Cornelius first. So what did he do? He asked Cornelius a question. Look at verse 29. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore, for what intent ye have sent me. So he asked Cornelius why he was there. And this is kind of interesting. Because on one hand, it's kind of like, you know, walking into a doctor's office and them asking you, you know, so what's wrong with you? I mean, I don't know. That's why I'm here. Like, I was hoping you would tell me. But they ask that question because they want to hear from you. They want to hear your symptoms. They want to hear what you're feeling, what you think is happening. And Peter was doing the same thing. Now, the truth is, he also didn't exactly know yet. You know, kind of like a lot of doctors. Just, I'm just kidding. I, I love all the doctors. That's a joke. Pretty bad one, apparently. But. but Peter was unsure and in the dark about why he was there a little bit until he engaged in conversation with Cornelius. And that's such a key point to connecting with another person at a ministry level. You see, it's, it's not just teaching. It's engaging. And it's hearing from them. Even if you do have the answer, you need to know if they're ready to hear it. And you won't know that if you don't talk to them. And you don't listen to what they're saying. And if you don't ask questions. And that type of interaction just opens up a different form of communication between you and them. And it puts you on the same playing field. Because it communicates that you're interested in them. And you're interested in hearing them and not just talking to them. And, that, and that's important. 
And you'll get a lot further through building a relationship based on association than you will be by staying distant and just, you know, preaching from afar. That's why our only ministry cannot come from me behind this pulpit every Sunday. And it's not that preaching from afar isn't important. It absolutely is. But it does not connect with people like a one-on-one interaction does in, in a discipleship type of format. That's why we do discipleship the way we do. Because listen, and, I, and I've told you this before. I'm, I'm sure you don't remember, but it, it, this is a key sentence. The greatest relay of God's word is preaching, but the greatest relay of God's way is discipleship. And so what we do here on Sundays is vastly important. It's part of God's plan. And, and God, for whatever reason, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to relay his word at a, at a church level. But the great, greatest relay of God's way and how to take what's being preached and then apply it to your life and live it out on a personal level, that's done through one-on-one. That's done through discipleship. And discipleship includes evangelism. That's real ministry. And that is done best through intimate association. That is the biblical model. So we need to be able to connect with people, and we do it by talking to them, engaging in conversation, interacting with them, being willing to open up to them through associating with them. And then third, we also do it through action. We do it through action. And this one's very simple, but it's, but it's absolutely worth noting. Because if Peter hadn't taken action, if Peter hadn't gone to Caesarea, then he wouldn't have led Cornelius to the Lord. So he took the action to go, even when, as we just talked about, he didn't fully yet understand why. He just chose simple obedience. Look at verse 29 one more time. Therefore, Peter speaking, therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore, for what intent ye have sent me? You see, he knew the Lord wanted him to go. That had been made pretty obvious. We looked at that last week. And so he obeyed. And when he said he went without gainsaying, it means without giving an argument or talking back, without doubting. You, get, you can get that definition in verse 20 of Acts chapter 10. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with, go with them, doubting nothing, right, for I have sent them. And Peter mentions that because as we saw last week, he had doubted and, and gainsayed in his trance regarding eating the unclean meat. You know, in fact, he had told the Lord no, right? He reverted back to that Peter in the Gospels. But now he's figuring out that this vision was about people, about the Gentiles. So when God told him to go see Cornelius, he went. He took the necessary action. And Craig talked about that last week. And he did it immediately, as soon as he was sent for. And think about those dynamics again for a second. I realize there's a different day and age than it is today. But it still could not have been convenient for him to obediently follow the Lord. You know, again, a two-day journey one way. So four days round trip to get back to where he was staying. He likely had other plans in place. But listen, the truth is, taking action in obedience to what God is calling us to is rarely convenient. And it's rarely convenient on purpose. God doesn't want it that way. But listen, that's why most people don't do it. Witnessing isn't convenient. Discipling isn't convenient. Ministry isn't convenient. Being here on Wednesday evenings and prayer meetings isn't convenient. So some people choose convenience over action or convenience over obedience. But if you are going to connect with people in a ministry environment, you can never choose convenience. Mark 8.34 says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's what obedient action for Christ is to look like today. Denying yourself and taking up your cross. There's nothing convenient about that. The cross is a place of death, a place of humility and insignificance. But it's what we've been called to. And Peter answered that call even when it wasn't convenient. He also answered the call when he didn't have all the information as to why he was to go. He asked Cornelius, you know, why would you send for me? We already talked about that. But just think about that. 
Are you willing to follow the Lord and take action for him, even if you don't know the full path before you leave, even if you don't have all the answers laid out in front of you? Many of us don't. We talked about this two weeks ago. We love control too much. So anything outside of our control is not desirable. This is another thing that we just justify because our culture is socially acceptable in our culture. It's like, well, I'm a control freak. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't be. Again, I don't, you know, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say. So anything outside of our control is not desirable. Therefore, it's usually not done. If we can't control it, we ain't doing it. We don't have trust at that level. But listen, if you can't take action and be obedient when, when you're not in full control, then you'll never connect with people. You will never glorify God the way he designed. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And the word devices means plans and thoughts. It's your way to control. But the Bible says you should put those aside. And follow the Lord. Doesn't mean you don't think about it or, or whatever, but if, if you don't have, you still need to give up control to the Lord and let him lead. Let his counsel guide. And that's what is good for you because God's way will always stand. And ours won't. We can put all the plans and thoughts together we want, even over good things, but if it's coming out of a place of control and lack of trust in the Lord, then it will be flawed and it will usually hurt people along the way. So the first step is always obedience, even if you don't know how it's going to work out in the end. Let your thoughts follow along as you trust God in the process. That is the order we see in Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thought shall be established, right? We like, we like the thoughts and the plans on the front end. And then once we have all that worked out, then, then, then we'll work. Then our works will follow. No, commit thy works unto the Lord first, and thy thought shall be established. You see, just take immediate obedient action following the Lord, and then your thoughts will come along. Your thoughts will get in line. But if you flip that order, you'll be in trouble. If you have to work it all out in your head first, and you're only going to follow, you're only going to take a step, you're only going to do this when it's convenient and when it makes sense and when you make sure that, you know, you have all the doors closed on the outside, there's, there's a, just one direct path and, and you can control it, it's just not the way God designed. And it's not the type of action we see in Peter. He obeyed immediately when it wasn't convenient and when he didn't have all the answers. But surprise, surprise, God knew exactly what he was doing. And what do you know? So Peter went anyway, took the right action to connect with Cornelius, and he had a receptive audience that God had prepared. And that brings us to the last key to connection. And this one we see again in Cornelius, and that is attention. That's attention. Cornelius was not only ready to see Peter, he was ready to engage in conversation and ready to hear from the Lord. And listen, that's how it works. So, you know, again, we, we complain at times. It's like, man, I, I don't know. I, I want to witness. I want to do all that, but I just don't ever get any opportunities or whatever. Well, maybe it's, it's because you have to control things too much. And maybe you're not willing to just trust the Lord and engage in conversation, whatever it might be, because God prepares those. God promises those that seek him He'll get them more light. And so this is what he does with, with Cornelius. Look at verse 30. Peter asked Cornelius why he had sent for him, and here's Cornelius' answer. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside. Who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? And there's a, just a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting info in here that, that we don't have time to cover at any depth, and it's not really pertinent to our topic anyway. But, but we see that we're in, the, in that ninth hour again. We've talked about that. Cornelius was praying. 
And God heard that prayer. It means he was praying for God to give him more light, and that's exactly what God was about to do. That's a prayer God will always answer if it's a sincere one. In this passage, we also learn that angels are men, because in Acts 10.30, the Bible says an angel of God came to him in a vision. Um, and then in verse 30, Cornelius described that angel as a man, later in verse 30, as a, as a man in bright clothing. Um, in every instance of an angel in the Bible, they're portrayed as men. So that gives you some insight into angels. They're not, you know, the winged creatures that, that Hollywood tells you. There are winged creatures in the Bible, but they're cherubims and seraphims, and those are different than angels, but that's another topic for another day. The point that I want you to see here is the attention that Cornelius describes, primarily in, in verse 33. And in that verse, Cornelius says, Immediately, therefore, I sent thee, and thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? And it all starts by Cornelius saying that he and his family and friends, we are all here present before God. Such, such, a great, such, such a great verse. Not present before you. We're present before God. It's an incredible statement. And it means they are in attendance and at attention. They are there. They are present and accounted for. And the truth is, that is the key to any ministry connection between people, whatever side you're on. Because if it isn't happening in the presence of God, presence of God then who cares? It's not real. It's not lasting. It's of no eternal value. And if someone doesn't want to hear from God, then they won't. And you're both just wasting your time. But listen, the presence of God is where supernatural activity occurs. It's always where God desires us to be. All the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. He wanted to walk with them. I've showed you Exodus 24, 12 many times before. But I'm going to show it to you again. I'm going to keep showing it to you. It's, it's one of the, just it's such, a, such an important verse in the Scripture. Talking to Moses when he takes him up to Mount Sinai to give him the law. And the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me in the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and the commandments which I have written. Thou mayest teach them. That was God's desire for Moses when he was revealing his word to him. He wanted Moses to come up and be there. Those, again, those are two different commands. He wanted to be present, to be there. So many times, I've told you this before, so many times we are in attendance somewhere, but we're not at attention. It's both. We're there, but we're not there. Right? It describes a lot of fathers and homes. We're physically present, but we're not really there. And we're checked out in our own place. No, that's the difference here. Come up to me and be there. Be in the presence of God. What a wonderful thing that is. What an amazing thing it is that the God of the universe desires for us to be in his presence. But too many times we do not desire it back. And that, just think about that. That is so crazy. We somehow think, we would never admit this, but we somehow think we're too important for God. Because we don't have time for him. There's too many other things going on in our life. But that wasn't Cornelius. They were present before God. They had gathered for no telling how long, just waiting on Peter to get there. Because listen, here is the key. They knew that when Peter arrived, Jesus was showing up with him. They knew that when Peter arrived, Jesus was showing up with him. And when it comes to ministry connections in our midst, that's the question I have for you. When you show up, does Jesus show up with you? Or are you only by yourself? Because no offense, but you're not the important one. And neither am I. I preach up here nearly every Sunday. But if I don't have a word from the Lord, then I am wasting your time. But listen to me, before you get too excited about that. Because if you don't come to be present before the Lord, then you're wasting mine. I might as well be speaking to somebody else. And that's how Cornelius ended this section. They were present before God, trusting fully that Peter had a word from God, that he had been commanded to share with them. And isn't that a wonderful thing? 
when both sides of the equation are prepared properly, that's when amazing things, supernatural things happen in ministry. It's the exact same thing here on Sunday mornings. I promise. I do my best to come prepared every Sunday. I get it that I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best communicator. But I study. I seek the Lord in prayer every single week. And I take what I do very seriously. And I work hard at it. And I trust the Lord in the process. So I want you to do the same thing. I want you to come prepared. You know, so many times we just show up on Sunday, you know, just dragging ourselves in. And listen, if that's you, I'm glad you did. I'd rather you be here than not. Drag yourself in. But how much better would it be if you come prepared? You're prayed up. You've sought the Lord saying, God, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you this Sunday. Will you speak to me? Will you show me where I need to change? And guess what? He probably will. If you're honest in that. And when I come prepared and you come prepared, supernatural things happen. It's exactly what God wants to do. And listen, it, when he commands me to say something and, and you are ready to hear it, it's the key to all of it. But again, it, it has to be from the Lord. The preparation on both sides has to be from the Lord. The Lord has to be the center. And it has to be his words. And listen, the speaker doesn't matter. You, me, the person sitting next to you, it doesn't matter. Because we all have ministry opportunities. They look different but they're just as legitimate and they're just as important. We all have ministry opportunities whether we're taking advantage of them or not. And those opportunities come as both hearers and givers. It's important for us to hear, all of us, to hear from the Lord, and it's important for us to give what we're getting. So it's our job to be present before the Lord and listen to him when we are the hearer and be sure to give out his word only and not our own when we are the givers. And again, when we do that, supernatural connections occur. And people are saved and discipled and changed all to God's glory, exactly the way he designed. So let's anticipate, let's associate, let's act, and let's be attentive. And God will use us in amazing ways. And he'll provide connections that we never thought possible before. What a great God he is.